0: Well, it's good to see you this morning. I see you, but my vision is really limited. I can't really see all that there is to you. I can't see beyond what meets the eye. I can't see what's going on in your life. I can't see your struggle or your fears. I can't see your burdens, but there's one who can. He sees you. He sees the real you. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 16 and begin with verse 1. A lot of times I kind of preach the whole Bible when I preach. And this morning we're pretty much going to stick with this passage in Genesis chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to begin with verse 1. Part of this is somewhat of a familiar story. And we're going to be reading about Sarai and Abram... And let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Sarai is that one that we know of as being called Sarah throughout the scripture. And Abram here is Abraham. The Lord changed both of their names. But that's who we're reading about here as we begin this passage. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. It's really difficult for us to understand what is happening here, it just sounds crazy. Amen? I mean, in our culture and day and time, we just think, wow, this is so wrong on so many levels and just bizarre. But in this this culture that they lived in, the most important thing to them was having descendants. And even though the Lord has already told Abraham that he's going to bless him with descendants and that there is a promised son that's coming, Abraham and Sarah really miss God here, and they decide to try to do it their own way. You know, in our time, possessions and money are such a big deal. And we make so much about that. In this time, they understood that money and possessions were quickly gone when you passed from this life. But they wanted to leave a legacy. And the biggest way that they could do that were descendants, that they lived on in their children and their children's children. And so this was such a big thing to them. It was so much a part of that culture, and it may sound crazy to us, but we just need to understand how, what a big deal it was to them. Let's read on in verse 4. He says, So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, something happened here besides the conception she became prideful. She began to look down on Sarah. She began to think of herself in some way as better than Sarah now. After all, she was the one who finally had given Abraham the heir that he so had longed for and prayed for. And so she despised Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. This was her idea, right? Right? But all of a sudden, Abram's getting the blame for it. In fact, she kind of blamed the Lord for her situation too. She said earlier that it was the Lord who restrained her and kept her from having children. But now she blames Abram. She says, I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, like a smart man, he said, do whatever you want. <laughs> he said, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. The scripture has so much to say about Abraham and Sarah. All through the Bible, you find mention of them many times in the New Testament. Both of them are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, what I call the hall, the hall of faith. It is those heroes of faith that are listed out. Both of them are mentioned by name, how God moved and worked in their life. Abraham is called the friend of God. Many call him the father of faith. Great man, great woman of God. But what about this Hagar, this servant girl? You know, usually when people talk about Hagar, they're just talking about the mistake that Abraham and Sarah made. They're just talking about all of the turmoil and the trouble that happened because Hagar was in that home. Who is she? Nobody. She's not one of the chosen. She's not the popular one she's not a person of privilege, she's not rich, she doesn't have any wealth, she's not thought of as the spiritual one, she's thought of as the mistake. We would all like to identify ourselves with one like Abram, Abraham or Sarah, but the truth is, is that most of us can more readily identify with Hagar. Most of us, we don't feel like we're the chosen one. Most of us, we don't feel like, hey, I'm special. Most of us don't feel like I'm the spiritual one. No, most of us, in one way or another, we can identify with Hagar. Maybe we feel like we're nobody. Maybe we feel like sometimes we're even the mistake She was a servant, she served others, she did for others, she was taken for granted, she was told what to do, she was treated as property. Sarah gave her to Abraham to be his wife. She gave her to her 85 year old husband, but only as a surrogate mother, not to truly be his wife, just to be the surrogate mother of their children. And when she finally conceives, then she feels like, now I'm somebody. Now I matter. But it was short-lived because she despised Sarah. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, by pride comes nothing but strife. Whenever you get pride, I'm telling you, there's always going to be strife to follow. And wow, did it ever, the strife that came between these women where she despised, she looked down upon Sarah, and Sarah began to mistreat her. The Bible says she dealt harshly with her. We don't know exactly what that involved, but the Hebrew word here in the text can mean anything from Verbal abuse to physical abuse. What we do know is that it was bad enough that this pregnant woman left and goes out into the wilderness, the desert, by herself with no possessions, no food, no shelter, no money, and nobody. She has no friends. She has no family. Can you imagine what it must have been like for a pregnant woman to be all alone in the wilderness in a land at a time, in a culture that was unkind to such people? She's a foreigner in another land. A pregnant, runaway slave. Wow. Whatever this mistreatment was, it was bad enough that it caused Hagar to leave. I'm sure that she felt sorry for herself. I kind of think she had every right to, to, don't you? But She really didn't have much chance on her own. Abraham and Sarah were amazing people with great faith. They knew God. And yet these were the people that hurt her and put her in such a terrible situation. Wow. Sometimes people get hurt in church. And you know what? It especially hurts when it's a leader. And it happens. It even happened with the great man, Abraham. But we've all been mistreated by others. We've all had times where we felt rejected we've all had times where we felt alone we've all had times where we were blamed when things went wrong maybe a boss that berated you and accused you of messing things up it happens we've all had times when as a young person we thought our parents were unfair that maybe they treated you different than they did your brothers or sisters we've all maybe had a teacher I know I had several of them what does that tell you but anyway I had several teachers that I thought were unfair treated me wrong embarrassed me shamed me when I was in high school when I was 17 years old I took an ag class an agriculture class and it was kinda my thing because at that time I planned on being a a veterinarian I loved animals knew a lot about animals it was just kinda my thing and so I never took notes in the class, and I made A's on all the tests. So the teacher decided that I must be cheating. We had those desks where the desk was attached to the chair. So he would come over whenever we're going to have a test, he would grab the front of my desk with me sitting in it, a 17-year-old boy, and he would drag me over to the corner in my chair, in front of the whole class, drag me over to the corner, he said, I know you're cheating, Hill. Then he would come by while I'm taking the test. He'd say, let me see your palms of your hand. Let me see your shoes. Had a cough drop wrapper on my desk one day, and he picked it up and held it up to the light looking at it. <laughs> Just a little story. I know there's some of you here this morning that you've been through All kinds of mistreatment. Some of you this morning that can really identify with Hagar. We've all gone through some things. We've all dealt with some hurts, heartaches. You see, sometimes it just seems like the world can be cruel. And sometimes maybe we even feel like that the Lord has been unfair or harsh at least that God could have done something, that God could have stepped in. Why doesn't the Lord care? You know, God, don't you care? Reminds me of the disciples in the boat out on the lake when the storm comes up and they say to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? We're about to die. He does. Right. He does. Lord, don't you see? Don't you see what's going on here, how I am being wronged? He does. He does. He sees. We're going to go back to Genesis 16 and pick it up in verse 7. It says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. You'll notice here in this passage that he says, I will multiply your descendants. I want to tell you, we need to realize that this is no ordinary angel. An ordinary angel could not say, I will multiply your descendants. No, this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Many times in the Scripture, you see where someone saw God, as Jacob wrestled with God, and over and over the Bible tells us that no man can see God and live. You see, there are many appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament but nobody has seen God in all the fullness of his glory. So this was not just any angel who's speaking to her that she saw here today. And you see that again later in the passage as it's revealed so clearly. But this is a great blessing that the Lord spoke to her that he would multiply her descendants exceedingly, that you would not even be able to count them, much like the promise that God had made to Abraham. She would never be forgotten. She would leave a legacy. Verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. The name Ishmael means God hears. That's what the name literally means. God hears. And then he says, Because the Lord has heard your affliction. And here's one of the amazing things I see about that. Is that... Once that child was born, every time she called his name, in the good times and the bad, every time she called his name, she was reminded that the Lord heard her in her desperation at the time when everything looked like there was no way. The Lord heard her. Ishmael. See, we hear that name and we just think of the mistake, right? Oh, but it means the Lord hears, and it was much more than that to her. the lord told her call his name ishmael verse 12 says he shall be he shall be a wild man and his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren he's going to be a wild man several translations say he's going to be a wild donkey of a man This guy was going to be hard-headed. He wasn't going to get along with anybody. He was going to be something else. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Who was this guy? He is the father of the Arab nations. Wow. We've been seeing that fulfilled for thousands of years. The conflict. That's who this guy was. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? The God who sees. She called the Lord... El Roy, God who sees, God who sees me. She realized that God saw her in her plight. God saw her in her misery. God saw her in all that she, this great struggle that she was going through, that the Lord did see, that the Lord cared about her. You see, when she realized God sees me, It changed everything. She knew that she was going to be all right. She knew that God was taking care of her, that He was watching over her. He sees me. The nobody. The one that's been cast aside, that's been put out. He sees me. The one that's been so mistreated. He sees me. The Lord found her. See, nobody else was even looking for her. Not Abraham and Sarah, nobody else. But the Lord was, and he found her. And He saw her loneliness, her pain. He saw the fear. He cared for her. You see, we need to realize this morning... That we might feel like a nobody. We might feel like we're unimportant. We might feel like we don't matter. We might feel like we're a mistake sometimes. But not to God. You matter matter to God. You are important to God. This woman, this is what she shows us. What God shows us through this story in the scripture is that every one of us, we matter to God. We might be cast aside by society, by other people, maybe even our family, but we matter to God. We are valuable to God. We're important to God. And when we're in a desperate situation, he sees. When, when we lose our job, he sees. You gotta provide for your family, take care of your family. He sees. When you, you go to the doctor and you get a devastating report, he sees. He knows. He's right there. You're not doing this alone. See, when your child is heading the wrong direction, he sees. He doesn't miss any of it. When you blow it, when you make a horrible mistake, you know, some of this trouble certainly hagar brought on herself by despising her mistress but when we're hurting we don't understand we don't feel loved he sees and he's there for us when we're broken hearted He's there for us. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. He's right there. When you have a broken heart, he's not far away. Listen, whether you can see him like Hagar did or hear him like Hagar did, he is just as much there. He is close to those who have a broken heart. And Psalm 147 verse 3 says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I want you to know that there was a healing that took place in Hagar the day that she realized that God heard her prayers and that he saw her plight and what she was going through. And when you realize, when you really know God is with me, he hasn't left me, God's going to make a way well, oh, he'll bind up the wounds of your heart. Right. He'll begin a healing process in you. But he sees and he comes to give us an answer. Now, the Lord appeared as a messenger to Hagar. Not many of us have those kinds of experiences. But one way or another, God will always give you an answer. One way or another, God will always make a way. One way or another, He will show you what you need to do. He will not just leave you alone to, to find your own way, but God will help you. You know, sometimes we just want to give up. We just think, well, there's no way. Just might as well just give up. But God always makes a way. Here's the thing. This is the truth. It may not be the way that you want. In fact, I find that most often God fails to do what I tell Him to do. Anybody else? And some of you are smart enough to not tell God what to do. That's, that's why you couldn't raise your hand. But he, he always makes a way and almost always is not the way that I thought He should, but He makes a way. And we see that so much here in this story because he tells Hagar to go back. Don't you know she was thinking, Lord, send me my Boaz. Let another man come along and take me home. Everything's going to be all right. Praise God. No, he says, you go back to your mistress, Sarah, and you submit yourself to her. The one that she had despised, he tells her, you go back and you submit yourself to the one that mistreated you. Wow. I don't think that was what she wanted to hear, but I want to tell you that things had changed. Because when she saw the Lord, when she knew that God saw her, it brought faith and courage and strength to her that she knew that everything was going to be all right. God had spoken to her. He had given her a word. She knew that her child was going to be blessed. She was going to have a multitude of descendants. Everything was different now because God had showed up and spoken to her. And so she goes back. This time she goes back as a victorious woman, listen, this time she goes back without the pride. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, shame comes. And man, had she gone through it. But now she's going to go back in humility. She's going to submit to her mistress, Sarah. And sometimes we got to be willing to humble ourselves to obey God. Because right. it's not always the way we want it to be. Sometimes we have to just lay down our pride and truly humble ourselves. Especially when the Lord tells us to go back. But God knows exactly what you need to do in order to get to the place of Blessing. And Hagar goes back to that place where she knew that her and her son would be provided for, that they would have food and clothing and shelter, they would be protected, they would be taken care of at least for a season, but also that Ishmael would be blessed in Abraham's household. He wasn't perfect, but Abraham truly was a great man of God. In fact, the scripture tells us that all the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And Ishmael was blessed through Abraham. What a blessing it was for this boy to grow up in Abraham's household. And such blessing came upon him because of Abraham. Abraham later talks to the Lord about Ishmael when God tells Abraham Sarah is going to have a son... Abraham says to the Lord, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And here's the Lord's response to this prayer. It's Genesis 17 and 20. He says, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. Wow. God says, I've blessed him. I've heard you. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. What a promise of blessing upon this young man, Ishmael. It came through Abraham. It came because Hagar was obedient to the Lord and went back to that place of blessing. And wow, did it bring blessing on her and her son. It wasn't all roses. No, there were problems later on. But I'm telling you, God blessed Ishmael because they went back. And sometimes he tells us to go back. Let me just get this out of the way. A lot of the time, God tells us to go forward. Like he did Abraham when he called him, he told him, leave your family, leave the land, the place that you know, and I'm going to take you to a place, I'll just show you when we get there. That's all he had to go on. But Abraham was willing to leave his comfort zone and obey God. That's how it all began with Abraham. He was willing to leave his comfort zone and obey God. I'm going to show you a place. And he was willing to follow God to that place. And sometimes God wants us to get out of our comfort zone and just obey God. Just to be willing to move forward. But I'm sharing something with you this morning that maybe you haven't heard before and some of you need to. Sometimes you need to go back. Sometimes you need to go back to a place where God had you, a place of blessing, where God was working in your life. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people that are not in church today. And if you're watching online, I want to tell you lovingly, you need to go back to church. You say, but somebody there mistreated me. Somebody there hurt me. And you know, those were supposed to be God's people and they didn't do me right. Does that sound like Hagar? But she had to go back. And if you're out of church, you need to go back to church. There are blessings that God will bring in your life if you're in church and part of the body of Christ that you're going to miss if you're not. Now, that's the truth. Sometimes you got to go back. you got to be willing to humble yourself. Right. Two married people that separate. I understand that if there's physical abuse and things that have happened that sometimes it just can't be fixed. But hear me now. If there's any way you can work it out, you go back. If there's any way, you go back. You humble yourself. If there's any way, it'll be better. It'll bring blessing on you if you can go back. See, when a child leaves home and they run away from home and maybe they felt mistreated, maybe things weren't right, but I'll tell you, almost always the best thing is for them to go back. Sometimes people leave a job because something made them mad or something hurt their feelings or they didn't feel like they were paid right. They felt like they were being mistreated. But a lot of the time, they just got out of the frying pan and into the fire. Sometimes you just need to go back. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that God always has a way whether it is to go forward or whether it's to go back, however it comes, God always has a plan. His plan is not just for you to try to stick it out all on your own. No, God will always make a way for you. He will always show you a way through to victory. He does never, His plan is never give up. No, he will always make a way. One more story I want to share with you about going back. That prodigal son, we know that story. This young man who wants his inheritance early, he demands to have his inheritance and his father gives it to him. He goes away to a foreign land and he wastes it all on sinful, wild living until he has nothing. And there's a great famine in the land and so he hires himself out to a pig farmer, and he is feeding pigs for a living, but he's so hungry, he wants to eat the pig food. And then he remembers, he, the Bible says he came to himself, he began to think about his father's household. He said, even my father's hired servants have more than enough food to eat. He said, I'm going to go back, and I'll tell... My father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but make me like one of your servants. There's the humility of going back. You know, that's not what the father did. No, instead, he said, bring a robe, the best robe. Bring shoes for his feet. Bring the family ring for his finger. You see... When we go back, when we're willing to go back, there's a place of blessing. And for a lot of people, they need to go back to a closer relationship with God where once they served God with a whole heart, where at one time they were passionate and devoted to the Lord and they didn't care what other people did. They were serving God. But somehow they they got disillusioned or disappointed or maybe they even felt like God had let them down and they need to go back you got to go back to that place of blessing. He loves you. And he cares for you. He wants the best for you. And he'll make a way. But you got to be fully devoted to the Lord. Make up your mind that you're going to go back to that place. But God always makes a way. I'm sure that Hagar never forgot... No matter what happened, He sees me. And we should never forget He sees me. You might feel like nobody notices your hard work, your efforts, your struggle, your tears, but He sees. He sees every sacrifice that you make every day when no one else is around. He sees. It's the story of a rich man who went to visit a great cathedral that was being built. And he noticed a worker carving a tiny bird on a beam And he was really puzzled by this. He asked the man, why are you spending so much time carving a bird into a beam that's going to be covered with the roof and nobody's going to see it? The worker said, because God sees it. God sees it. God sees it. When you spend time on your knees in prayer and nobody else ever sees, God sees it. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray in secret, your heavenly Father will reward you openly. It's supposed to be in secret. Nobody else is supposed to see. It's God who's going to reward. When we give, we're not supposed to let our right hand know what our left hand gives. We're not supposed to let anybody know. But God sees it, and He rewards us openly. You see, when you've been working and serving and working and serving and doing for others, whether it's at the church or in your home or the workplace or out in the community, God always sees it. We, sometimes we feel like we're not appreciated, like we're taken for granted. Can you imagine how Hagar felt? But God sees it. Amen. He knows he sees you taking care of your sick loved one. Wow. It can be so hard. He sees. He sees the widow that lives alone. He sees a single mom that's trying to hold it all together. He sees the one who feels like a nobody. He sees the one that's doing their best at what others might call a dead-end job. He sees everything. He sees you. And unlike the rest of us, he sees the real you. Man looks on the outward appearance, but he sees the real you. He sees your heart. He sees the struggle, the burden, the hurt. He sees your faith. He sees your trust. He sees the real you. And he loves you. And he's for you. Just as much as he was for Hagar. He's for you. He wants to help you. And I encourage you this morning, whatever your struggle, your burden, no matter how small or how great, there's a God who sees and he cares for you. Stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for prayer partners to come.